Today, top management received a legal opinion. The organization is at risk. They recommend euthanasia. They can't do that. She pleads with Joe. Ruby's a smart dog. Pat, I feel just like you do, but they don't feel they have a choice, says Joe in sympathetic tones. When, she sighs. Two hours, replies Joe. Welcome to the Dog Links Podcast with stories from Squire Rushnell, featuring Rescued by Ruby, the Netflix original motion picture. This limited series podcast is brought to you by Godwink Brands. Visit dogwinks.com for more information. Now, here's the Godwink guy, Squire Rushnell. A blue pickup truck drives into the Rhode Island SPCA parking lot, pulling into a spot adjacent to a wire fence. The sign on the truck's door, Lazy Bones Dog Training, helps identify the driver. Out hops an attractive woman in her late 30s who heads into the building. Minutes later, we see her behind the wire fence. She is Pat Inman, a dog trainer who donates some of her time every week to the SPCA, helping dogs get ready for their critically important adoption interviews with potential families. She teaches them basic manners. In other words, she is helping them to put their best paw forward. I'll be right with you, Ruby, she shouts to her favorite canine student who is dashing around the enclosure. I need just a minute to get ready. Ruby, seven months old, is a frisky, long-haired, black-and-white pup, preoccupied with dashing back and forth like she's out of control. Is she? Nah, that's just the nature of Australian shepherds and border collies. Ruby's a mix of both. They have nearly duplicate characteristics. Very bright, highly active, and loaded with mischief. Ruby stops, looks back to see if her friend Pat is watching. What's this? An unguarded moment? She bolts. Pat, getting her long auburn hair under control for her training session, has placed her pink ball cap on the bench beside her as she pulls her hair into a ponytail. And at that moment of distraction, Ruby loops around, playfully snatches the ball cap, and zips off carrying it in her mouth like a prize. Ruby! Come back here, shouts Pat, laughing at the same time. Ruby, bring it here. Ruby seems to obey, heading back. She likes to please Pat, most of the time. Anybody else would have had to chase her until exhaustion before getting that hat back. She trots back to the bench, dropping the ball cap at her teacher's feet. Pat, good-naturedly strokes Ruby's neck and hugs her warmly. In her canine business, as well as her volunteer duties at the SPCA, Pat works with dozens of dogs. She's fond of most of them. But there's something special about Ruby. Releasing her hug, she attempts to disguise a worry in her heart. 
You see, Ruby is scheduled for an adoption interview later that day. It'll be the fifth family to take her home for a tryout. Unfortunately, the four previous families returned Ruby within 48 hours, with nearly identical complaints, unmanageable, scared the children, prone to nipping. That last observation, nipping, is one of the least desirable charges to have on a dog's record. Pat's been around long enough to know that nipping one step away from biting ignites the anxiety of lawyers. And if Ruby happens to be returned one more time, the animal shelter may have to, quote, make a decision. She shudders at those words. Come on, Ruby, says Pat with playful resolve in her voice. We've got work to do. You are going to meet some wonderful people, so let's teach you some manners. Pat always makes things fun, so whatever she suggests sounds good to Ruby. If only Ruby could keep her doggy mind on what she's supposed to be doing. She gets distracted. Just can't help it. Zip! She's off. A squirrel has entered the fenced-in area, commanding Ruby's entire attention. Pat watches, hands on her hips, letting out a sigh. Meanwhile, in nearby Providence, a state police vehicle pulls into the driveway of a modest suburban home. Stepping out, Handsome in his gray-red, mounty-like uniform, 31-year-old Trooper Daniel O'Neill is greeted by Charlie, an older German shepherd. Dan lovingly rubs Charlie's neck, asking if he's been keeping a close watch on the premises. Familiar with the question, Charlie woofs an affirmative reply. Melissa is at the kitchen sink. As Dan comes in, their three-year-old Gavin runs to Daddy, who scoops the boy up while leaning toward his wife, planting a kiss on her cheek. Melissa smiles, grabs a towel to dry her hands, turning to look at her husband right in the eyes, expressing her joy at seeing him home safe and sound. How you feeling? asks Dan softly. Melissa drops her hands to her tummy. About three months pregnant, she laughs. Morning sickness? Not much, says Melissa. How'd it go with you? Dan pulls out a chair and sits at the table where Melissa joins him. Same old, same old. No prospect of a partner, says Dan sadly. Melissa knows exactly what her husband means. For several years, Dan has persistently tried to get into the state police canine unit. That's his dream. But everyone pretty much knows that without a canine partner to match you up with, you'd be an officer without a purpose. Melissa can't count the number of times Dan has made regular appointments to remain visible with Sergeant Matthew Zarilla, the canine commander for the canine unit. He always returns home disappointed. But bless his heart, her hubby, 
has a trait everyone admires. He sticks to a goal like Gorilla Glue. Melissa remembers Dan's mom telling her about her son growing up with ADD. His technique in dealing with attention deficit disorder was always to pour on the persistence. He did that in high school sports and later getting through the police academy. Bulldog determination. From all of Dan's prior meetings with Sergeant Zarilla, Melissa could recite in her sleep why there was no prospect of a partner for her husband. No budget. I still don't understand why canines can't be put into the state police budget, she sighs. They do get put in. They just don't stay in, says Dan, twisting his mouth. Politicians look at the ten dollars or $15,000 price tag for dogs purchased in the Czech Republic or someplace else in the world, especially bred for police work, and they probably freak out at what their voters might say. Can't they just find a nice, inexpensive rescue dog? That's rare, he shrugs, then remembers something. Hey, I was talking with Joe Warzica, one of the top guys at Rhode Island SPCA. He says in 10 years, he's never had a shelter dog accepted by the canine unit. Melissa pats her husband's hand, smiling. I guess we're just going to have to pray about it. Elsewhere, at that same moment, what? Pat Inman's heart sinks. Joe Warzica has just called with the news that Ruby was returned for the fifth time. Oh, no! It's worse, says Joe somberly. Today, top management received a legal opinion. The organization is at risk. They recommend euthanasia. They can't do that, she pleads with Joe. Ruby's a smart dog. Pat, I feel just like you do, but they don't feel they have a choice, says Joe in sympathetic tones. When, she sighs. Two hours, replies Joe sheepishly. Joe hears Pat draw in a breath. <gasps> he knows she's trying to regain composure. Ruby's being put down in two hours. I'm coming over there, says Pat, briskly hanging up. The blue truck pulls rapidly into the SPCA, and the familiar ponytail is bobbing from underneath the pink ball cap as Pat marches toward Joe's office. Pat stands in front of Joe, pleading for Ruby's life. Isn't there something you can do, Joe? Joe shakes his head slightly and looks at her as he makes an admission. I took Ruby home last night. I thought maybe I could take her. But I got three dogs, and it was like a ten-round championship fight. I had to bring Ruby back this morning, and that's when I got the news from top management. I was crushed. Pat makes her own confession. She tells him she tried three times over the last week to convince her husband to let her bring home another dog, but he just put his foot down. We have 
Four dogs and four kids, all of them with minds of their own, she explains. Pat looks at Joe again. We have to do something, she says plaintively. Isn't there a, a canine unit or somebody that would take Ruby? Joe presses his lips together, thinking about it. Well, the state police canine unit has never taken one of our dogs. But what do we have to lose? I do know Matt Zarella, the commander. I'll call him. What do we have to lose? She repeats softly. Pat walks out of Joe's office feeling defeated and torn. She knows the odds are against Ruby. She has to get away from there. She's done all she can. At the same time, she feels guilty. If only she could have taught Ruby some manners. On top of that, she feels badly for just leaving without saying goodbye to Ruby. But she knows herself ending up in a puddle of tears would help no one. She climbs into the blue truck and drives slowly out of the parking lot. In her rear-view mirror, Ruby can be seen scampering behind the wire fence, not a care in the world. Tears streak down Pat's cheeks. Driving home, Pat vows not to come back to the shelter for a while, and she vows not to pester Joe, asking him what happened. Frankly, she doesn't want to hear what she thinks she'll hear. For now, she concludes, I have got to try to put that sweet dog out of my mind. Joe Warzica sits quietly in his office. He wants to organize his thoughts before making the call. He draws in a deep breath and picks up the phone. Sergeant Matthew Zarella has been handling search and rescue dogs for the Rhode Island State Police for years. He started the canine unit's first search and rescue dog program using dogs trained in multiple scent disciplines and is now the canine commander. When the call comes in from Joe, Matt remembers him. He was with the local police department prior to going to work at the SPCA. Joe explains that he has a dog, an Australian Shepherd, Border Collie Mix, that's very smart. Matt, would you have time to come by the shelter and take a look at her? I know she needs a lot of training, but she's got drive and intelligence. Joe is candid, explaining Ruby's history with various families who have uniformly returned the dog. Sergeant Gerilla thinks about it. Joe sounds sincere. Finally, the commander says, Well, I'll see if I can get over there at the end of the week. Sorry, Matt, that won't work. Ruby will be euthanized in less than two hours. Matt checks the clock. All right, I'm on my way. Matt Zarella is a former Marine whose reputation for police search and rescue work has gone national. His quest to work with dogs began as a boy 
When three Girl Scouts from Oklahoma were kidnapped on a camping trip, he kept the newspaper story in his bedroom dresser all through school, always thinking that canines could have found the perpetrator. He still has that article in his office today. And that was the motivation for his life's work. Matt loves dogs, and he has a soft spot in his tough Marine Corps heart for underdogs. He's one himself. His short stature, 5'5", working among state police officers who are 6'5 and taller, has been a challenge all his career. Before leaving the barracks, Matt takes two of his own search dogs from the kennel, loading them into his SUV, and heads out. Joe is thrilled that Matt has responded promptly. He greets him and then lets him do his thing, watching from a distance. He utters a prayer, feeling satisfied that, as the good book says, having done all, stand. He was standing and turning things over to a supernatural mediator to prepare Sergeant Zarella's heart for Ruby. During the first 20 minutes or so, Joe sees that Ruby is true to form, totally unmanageable. Worse, she's aggressive toward Matt's senior female search dog. He observes how Matt's demeanor never wavers regardless of Ruby's behavior and how the canine commander studies the dog as he throws the ball, telling Ruby to get it. Over and over, Ruby chases after the ball and returns it to Matt. Joe knows that's a positive trait, demonstrating that Ruby has drive. Joe's phone rings. He steps away to take the call, but when he returns a few minutes later, he's astonished. Matt has Ruby laying on the ground, and she is allowing Matt's female search dog, the one she nearly attacked earlier, to walk over her. The canine commander is clearly finding a basis to be hopeful about Ruby. I'll take her. Work with her. See what we can do, says Matt. I have a trooper in mind to pair her with. For further evaluation, Sergeant Zarella takes Ruby home with him for the next 14 days. Two weeks later, Dan O'Neill can't wait to phone Melissa with the good news. Speaking excitedly, he tells her that he has been called in to meet with Sergeant Zarella. He said he had a partner for me. Her name is Ruby. He told me she's very smart but needs training. She's a little rambunctious. That's wonderful, honey. And listen to this, Melissa. Just like you were thinking, Ruby is a shelter dog from the RISPCA. Melissa is beaming on the other end of the phone. She knows this is a sign, an answered prayer, a godwink, indicating that the pathway to her husband's dream is opening up. Dan laughs exuberantly. Honey, this is my shot. Ruby is glad to have the change of scenery from the animal shelter. First, 
She spends a few days with Matt and his dogs. He plays a lot of games with her, like chasing the ball, and now she's riding in the truck with this nice man, Dan, and he's talking to her all the way to, well, wherever they're going. Melissa is waiting at the front door, holding their little boy, Gavin, as Dan arrives home. Dan leads Ruby on her leash up the front steps, and suddenly the pup yanks the leash out of Dan's hand, dashing right past them into the living room. There, in the middle of the carpet, Ruby leaves her new family a present. Melissa and Dan look at each other aghast. This is not going to be easy. Ruby decides to show these nice people that she's going to like living here by demonstrating her enthusiasm, running through the house real fast. She feels encouraged by her cheerleader. Little Gavin laughs and laughs. Having a playmate gets Ruby even more excited. She and Gavin dash through the house together, tipping over the coffee tables and the wastebaskets. This place is going to be fun! Over the next few months, making measurable progress in altering Ruby's behavior is frustrating. For 16 weeks, Dan and Ruby attend a training school working on obedience and scent detection. It's like taking five steps forward and then ten back, Dan tells Melissa, partly blaming himself as an inexperienced handler. And when Dan gets discouraged, he just pumps himself up. This is my only shot to be in canine. We've got to make it work. And when Dan returns home exhausted, Melissa is always there as a source of encouragement. She reminds her husband that he and Ruby have persistence. You're both underdogs, she counsels, painfully aware that Dan's colleagues at the state police barracks have been razzing him, leaving notes taped to his locker, insinuating that a shelter dog can never measure up to their trained and bred for the job canines. And Dan keeps at it, never letting Ruby out of his sight, redundantly going through the training procedures, hoping that the moment will come when the penny will drop that realization that life would be better for Ruby if she were obedient rather than the opposite. After the training school, Dan is assigned to regular police work and needs to find the time to continue training Ruby in his off hours. Time after time, the canine teams are called into action, searching for missing people or assisting detectives, while Dan and Ruby are left behind at the barracks answering phones and tending to menial tasks. Alone with his dog one evening, Dan opines, Ruby, you're the canine version of Cinderella. Everybody else goes to the ball, and here we sit. Ruby listens to the conversation as if she knows what he's talking about. Cinderella. Wonder who she is. 
While Dan works at his desk, Ruby enjoys lying in the cubby hole underneath, taking naps. Being in a secret-like place makes her calmer. Not to mention, she loves being right at the feet of Dan, whom she has grown to love more than anybody. Approaching five months, Dan is suddenly starting to get glimmers of hope. Ruby is beginning to sit for five minutes without Dan holding her down. That was an amazing sight, he says to Melissa. Then she started picking up on scent detection quickly and was giving me alerts. All the hard work is now paying off after six months. Ruby finally wins her certificate. For Ruby, it is like having a hot dog dinner every day of the week. She's made it. She got her police badge for her collar, and Dan says that means they can start going on searches for missing people. That means I've got a job. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Over the next few years, Ruby has an exceptional record. She is credited with finding ten missing persons or bodies. On a cold day in October, the canine unit is summoned to the outskirts of Providence to search for a teenage boy who has been missing for 39 hours. According to local police, who had searched unsuccessfully for two days, the boy liked to hike in the woods that ran many miles deep behind his house. The troopers and the canines split up, each taking a segment of the woods. Dan gives Ruby the scent from the boy's clothing. Ruby begins zigging and zagging to catch the scent. The boy had walked from his house, crossed the lawn, down a path, into the woods, under the brambles, over stumps, through a stream up a rocky incline. Ruby keeps following the scent of the boy. Dan is trying to keep up. It's difficult. Ruby is covering so much territory, moving so quickly. A mile into the woods, Ruby suddenly bolts. Dan runs as fast as he can, trying to keep her in view. He breathlessly arrives at a ravine. Ruby is at the bottom. She's licking the face of a prone body, trying to revive the victim. Dan scrambles down, turns the body over. It's a boy. His forehead is lacerated and bloodied. He is cold and unconscious. His mouth and nose are clogged with blood. As Dan searches for a pulse, Ruby begins licking the blood from the boy's mouth and nose. Suddenly, the boy takes a breath. Simultaneously, Dan feels a faint pulse. We have a boy injured lacerations to the forehead. Dan speaks loudly into his radio. Then he gives the others, officers, first responders, and the EMTs, the GPS coordinates. Dan takes off his jacket and covers the boy with it. As Dan talks on the radio, Ruby takes up a position lying next to the boy to share her body heat. We can't find you, says the voice over the staticky radio. The GPS coordinates are off. 
Dan has an idea. Ruby looks up as Dan gives her a command. He says, bark, Ruby, bark. She stands up and barks. Dan encourages her. That's it, Ruby. Keep barking. Good girl. We hear Ruby barking, says the voice on the radio. Keep her going. Following the sound of Ruby, the rescuers arrive, wrap the boy in blankets, provide oxygen, place him on a stretcher, carry him through the woods to the ambulance, and rush him to the hospital. Dan and Ruby are exhausted, but they're still running on adrenaline. Before anything else, Dan has a critical task to advise the parents that their son is alive and to tell them which hospital he has been taken to. Dan's state police truck pulls into the driveway of the boy's home. Stay, Ruby. I'll be back in a minute. He knocks on the door. A man and woman with fear on their tear-stained faces invite him in. Dan knows they need to hear good news immediately. Your boy is alive. My canine Ruby found him. He's going to be fine. Oh, thank God, said the boy's mother, her voice cracking. She falls against her husband as she sobs tears of joy, and he cries too. Dan tells them their son has some injuries. He's expected to survive and names the hospital. Just as Dan turns to leave, the mother calls after him. Officer, did you say your dog was named Ruby? Dan stops in his tracks. He turns. With a surprised look, says, Ma'am, that's my canine partner. The dog that just found your boy is Ruby. She chokes back tears lets out a sigh of relief. My name is Pat Inman. I'm a volunteer at the SPCA. I advocated for Ruby not to be put down, hoping that the state police would take her, but I never knew what happened. Dan is dumbfounded, his own eyes starting to moisten. Ma'am, that means that the dog whose life you saved just save your son. Pat Inman and her husband are overwhelmed by the amazing Godwink that has just been revealed to them. And Dan is also astonished. He shakes his head in disbelief and then takes another step to leave, stops, turns, and says, Would you like to see Ruby? She's in the truck. Ruby has been climbing the insides of the truck, waiting for Dan to return. As soon as that door to the house had opened, Ruby caught the scent of her other best friend in the whole world, Pat. The excitement inside Ruby is churning up and down until Dan opens the truck door. There she is! Ruby covers her in kisses the way she did when she was a little pup. It's the best reunion that Ruby and Pat have ever had. Arriving home, Dan tells Melissa every detail of the story as Ruby sits by, attentively listening 
Melissa tears up, hugs Ruby, then Dan. They realize that supernatural forces have pulled them all together. God winks and dog winks. You two are my underdog champions, Melissa says with a beaming smile.